to Cannabis in Focus, the show for anyone who wants to learn more about medical cannabis. Cannabis is not a panacea. It's an incredibly valuable source of food, fiber, and medicine in use for 10,000 years. In the right circumstances, cannabis can be life-enhancing and even life-saving. Our goal is to separate science from politics and fact from folklore. Our guests include doctors, nurses, scientists, patients, and producers, all here to help you make informed decisions for yourself and your loved ones. So, on to the show. I'm your host, Miriam Knight, and today's guest is Dr. Philip Blair, MD, a West Point graduate who served as a combat physician in the Gulf War. After 29 years in uniform, he retired from the Army as a colonel, and he has been consulting on complex disease management since 2000. In 2014, Dr. Blair began studying the human body's natural endocannabinoid system. He has lectured extensively on CBD, the non-psychoactive cannabidiol from hemp, and he's consulted with patients, health professionals, parents, and businesses around the world about how CBD can improve serious medical disorders. Welcome, Dr. Blair. I am so pleased you could join us. Well, I'm excited to be with you as well, Miriam. There's such a, such a great amount of information, such uh, threshold uh, knowledge about cannabidiol that's coming out and in clinical situations to, that it could be truly transforming for the entire medical field. I, I totally agree. But I'm intrigued by your story because you'd think that as a military man and a doctor, you'd be deeply rooted in the system and in conventional medicine. So why did you begin to study cannabinoids? I did go through that system, and I was quite good at it. I rose to the rank of a full colonel, and I was director of primary care and community medicine within the Army at a major installation for the U.S. Army. And under my direction were dozens of physicians. And I did follow the criteria and the general requirements for the diagnosis and treatment in all cases. But I was always looking for one more thing, something else that would make a transformation for people. And I also saw that what we were dealing with in the community was a host of almost like new diseases that were forming that we hadn't really seen anything. Part of the obesity epidemic, the increase in the epidemic of um, diabetes that's going on, a number of these other conditions like chronic uh, fibromyalgia mm -hmm. that, that deal with so many of the population now. And all of these people have been presenting to me, and I, I realized that I did not have all the tools necessary to help these people. Yeah, we could do a lot with the conventional medicines, but they still left a lot to be desired. There were other therapies that I worked on first. One of the major ones was a dietary approach. And I found that special approaches to the diet, in particular removing carbohydrates and putting people on a low-carbohydrate program was very effective in a broad range of conditions. But there was still something missing. And in my quest for finding solutions to patients' problems, 
I discovered, I found out about cannabidiol. I read into the information that was available, did my due diligence in looking over the clinical, uh, preclinical studies that were done on cannabidiol, as well as into the uh, cannabinoid area entirely. I started using it. I found the benefits right there, and I started using it in my family and then my patients. And I saw right before my eyes transformations in people's eyes and in their walk and in their voices. So I knew that this was really going to be a good thing. And so for the last three years, I have continued to explore so many different aspects of cannabidiol and how it could be incorporated to treat many of the orphan diseases that have essentially been abandoned by the conventional medical practice. I'm curious, what has been the reaction of your medical colleagues? About my medical colleagues, in uh, medical degree uh, for MDs um, and for uh, some of the others and the specialties, for sure, they haven't been open and receptive to cannabidiol. They feel restricted by the laws, by the limited amount of clinical information that is available. So they have not been in full endorsement. Now, the other thing of, about cannabidiol and any of the cannabis is that it's, it's highly restrictive and availability that's going on. Plus, there's a huge amount of negative propaganda that has been going on for years, but it's still present. And many of my colleagues have been indoctrinated to the point where they have extreme skepticism uh, about any of the phytocannabinoids and what they could possibly do. They're looking for detailed clinical studies that prove effectiveness. This seems to be a mantra within the establishment about showing absolute proof that, number one, the product is safe, and secondly, that it does really provide much more than placebo in these particular cases. But we're well aware that there's been a lot of limitations in terms of the availability of clinical studies, limited in terms of funding, availability, and actual human studies that have been done. So full clinical randomized controlled trials are really quite a bit in the future. We still have, but we do have some clinical studies in humans that have been done for some pure CBD products that have been very successful. Uh, Epidiolex is probably the hallmark where we're showing it's at level three or stage three in terms of the uh, studies that have been done, all showing tremendous benefit, but no significant adverse effects. And, and so we've got this safety profile for these clinical studies uh, for an, a sample that is now in the formulary as well as some of the other um, uh, the uh, cannabinoid uh, uh, diagnosis and the drugs that are available, like uh, Sativex, which contains a blend of THC and CBD. All of these, both these drugs are providing excellent results with minimal amount of side effects, but still my colleagues and many of the medical community are not willing to even consider uh, using cannabidiol except in extreme situations. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you have been focusing on CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component of um, cannabis. Um, The regulations around CBD are different from other cannabinoids. Um, What has been your experience with them? Well, the main difference that's going on with CBD versus THC is, of course, that CBD doesn't have any psychoactive component. It doesn't cause any high. And that, Now, the regulations are quite a bit confusing, and I don't want to get into that because I like to think of myself as a doctor, and I don't want to go into the legal status. Of mm-hmm. that. That's going to require a lawyer for doing that kind of stuff. In general, what we have is that CBD is available really without any restriction in terms of importing it uh, from um, other countries, uh, particularly Northern Europe that has an excellent supply of full-spectrum CBD from organic sources, bringing that into our country without any import restrictions whatsoever, and then processing that CBD from industrial hemp and then distributing that Uh, throughout the nation, all 50 states, without any restriction. In addition, the CBD is now available in at least 22 countries around the world. So it doesn't fit into uh, the the criteria of a psychoactive substance that so many of the rules and regulations have set up. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by full spectrum? Well, a full spectrum is, that means that it's part of the whole plant, that All of the substances that are in the whole plant are there. In uh, cannabis uh, talk, we discuss the entourage, uh, that these balanced substances that occur, rather than an isolate. What I see and what is supported in the clinical literature is shows that isolates do not perform as well as a full spectrum. And so that full spectrum includes not only the additional uh, cannabinoids that are present, even microscopic or amounts of THC, but also uh, CBN, uh, CBG, some of these other cannabinoids, but probably more importantly are the other terpenes that are associated with uh, this full spectrum and uh, the um, polyphenols, the flavonoids. You know, we look at wine in much the same way, and we see the value of those wines and the quality of those wines goes up as those substances like reservatrol are included in the wine. And that's a lot of the value that comes from a full-spectrum CBD, where it has these balanced components that somehow facilitate CBD to be more effective in a broader range uh, of conditions without as requiring as many milligrams. One of the things that I have noticed in a number of the studies is where they've used pure CBD product, uh, isolate uh, product, and they've done it in experiments. Um, Even human experiments, one classic one was in psychosis. They used as much as 800 milligrams of CBD to facilitate an improvement in psychosis. It was a very successful study. It found that with the best um, antipsychotics, CBD was just as effective, but CBD didn't have any side effects. It didn't cause any of the weight gain or, or the complications or the dystonic reactions that sometimes occur when they use antipsychotics. But I want to get back to the 800 milligrams was what the dose was. 
I couldn't even consider taking that amount of uh, full spectrum CBD. Probably in, in the schizophrenics that I've helped, not more than 50 or 60 milligrams has been required. So there's a, a huge multiplication using full spectrum versus using a pure isolate or an isolated drug substance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you began by studying the endocannabinoid system, which is a lecture all on its own. Um, But perhaps you could just give our listeners a a brief introduction to what's happening here. Certainly. The endocannabinoid system is was absolutely unknown before the the early 1990s. And we discovered, or uh, it was discovered, as a complex system that is a master regulator for the entire body, for the other systems in the body. So look, we have got um, an endocrine system. Endocrine, that's internal hormones. We control our own hormones. We have a system for it. But we also have a system for the cannabinoids, the endocannabinoids. We make our own cannabinoids, we make our own receptors, and we make all of the other substances that manufacture our endocannabinoids, as well as the ones that break them down. In addition, there are molecules that provide transport inside the cell and between cells for these molecules. It turns out that the endocannabinoid system looks like it is the master controller for the neurologic system, the neurotransmitters, the immunologic system, the hormonal system. And we really don't know the full range of what the endocannabinoid system is regulating. Now, the whole purpose of the endocannabinoid system is to maintain homeostasis. It's just to balance the body so that it doesn't get out of kilter, out of whack, and lead to diseases and ill conditions that don't allow us to be in a balanced state. Now, from my take on it, it seems that so many of the problems and the conditions that we're facing in the world today, in the modern world, have to do with imbalances, a lack of homeostasis, where normal has been distorted into some range. And in fact, this is so absolutely true because we found evidence that the endocannabinoid system is out of balance in many of these diseases. Time and time again, looking at a detailed analysis, we're discovering that an endocannabinoid deficiency is occurring in so many of the diseases. Let me give you an example. Things like migraine headaches for fibromyalgia, Um, And uh, in irritable bowel syndrome, these all have well-substantiated evidence for clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. And that means that there are either too many receptors or too little receptors, too many endocannabinoids that are circulating, the body's putting out, or too little. In whatever the case, these imbalances lead to a homeostasis crisis where the body's no longer in balance and can't function as it's designed to. And so the major role, as I see, for the endocannabinoid system is that master regulator, that controller of what is normal, what is effective, keeping us at top performance and preventing aging as well as giving us longevity. It sounds like our pharmacopoeia today, our uh, drug Um, offerings 
are targeting specific symptoms, whereas the um, derivatives of, of cannabis, the cannabinoids, have a more general, more holistic um, action on the entire uh, endocannabinoid system. So it's, it's a broader spectrum, as you said with your full-spectrum uh, hemp, a broader spectrum of action. Is that a reasonable Absolutely. You know, what we're seeing with the phytocannabinoids is that they have a much broader spectrum. I've been doing quite a bit of literature searching uh, about cannabidiol, looking into all number of diseases, and I've been producing lectures on uh, sometimes uh, two or three times a month on different topics. And every time that I explore one of these topics, I find incredible connections. And I've been uh, accumulating the mechanisms uh, that cannabidiol in particular is working on the body and how it might perform these particular tasks. And to date, I have actually listed about 122 different mechanisms for cannabidiol. And that 122 mechanisms actually deals with almost all systems, all cellular structures, all cell types in a wide variety of different conditions. What is, you know, you've hit on a really a strong point, Miriam, is that what I see with cannabidiol in particular is it's narrowing in uh, on what some people call an adaptogen, a substance that works in the right way, in the right situ situation uh, to provide homeostasis, provide improvement, um, in that cellular condition with a, in a balanced approach so that it's not shifting way over to one side or way over to the other side. It's getting the body back into tune and in optimal functioning status. Now, some of those mechanisms are, are quite amazing. I didn't even realize that some of these were actually present where you have cannabidiol interacting, of course, between cells between at the neurosynapses for the neurotransmitters, but also down to the nuclear level. We know that cannabidiol is actually affecting the epigenetics of an individual and modulating many of the actions that are occurring within the nucleus on the genes uh, that are happening. I think there are two, uh, one major pathway that I recently came across had to do with addiction. Now, addiction is actually an epigenetic phenomena where the addictive substance, let's say it's alcohol or opioids, actually triggers a shifting of the gene selection in the DNA. And using methylation, it, has, um, it modifies the genes that are available. And it's like a cascade or a grouping of different reactions that occurs. And that process incorporates one particular molecule facilitator. And what cannabidiol has been shown consistently to do is block that particular mechanism. Now, that's huge in, in my book that you've got a substance, a phytocannabinoid, an adaptogen, who's making uh, changes uh, that will provide for optimization of the body's function rather than shifting it to a neurologic condition or a deficit situation, or in this case, an addiction. We see some of the same thing happen in terms of shifting mechanisms within the body in, in some of the other diseases. But 
the broad spectrum that I see with cannabidiol into all of these areas, into doing the right thing. I, sometimes I call it a Boy Scout because it has <laughs> the ability to do the right thing in the right situation and consistently. On the other hand, no toxicity. Never seen, there's never been an evidence of any toxicity, even at huge, huge doses. So absolutely safe without any major adverse effects either. Well, it's beyond ironic that cannabis with all of these beneficial uh, attributes, lack of toxicity um, and epigenetic effect can actually um, wean people off opioid and, and alcohol ad- and other addictions, and yet it's classified as an addictive substance with no known medical benefit. It's, it's just grotesque. But we're not going to go there today. That's right. That's the politics. <laughs> right. that doesn't, there's no science in that. There's no science in that. So tell me, uh, what were the, the first clinical treatments that you did with uh, cannabidiol that got your attention? The first treatment areas that I found with CBD had to do with anxiety, depression, and pain. I started using cannabidiol, and I love to have people right in front of me or talking to them when I'm using, when they're taking their first doses of CBD, because I see the effects right away. And looking at them, I can see those changes. And I also get a sense of how much of CBD they need in order to get their relief. So with regard to anxiety, consistently people even display relaxation of their facial muscles. Uh, They have a calming sense. There's a relaxation of their vocal cords, and so their voice typically drops about an octave as they're speaking. But on the other hand, they start speaking faster. They'll usually double the speed of their (laughs) voice. Um, uh, But they'll be much more enthusiastic about their language as well. So, you know, a lot of these particular effects really got me into understanding some of the things that were happening with people. And then the pain relief. I was really blown away by the amount of analgesia that cannabidiol seems to provide. Now, sometimes it doesn't take away all the pain. In fact, most of the time it doesn't take it all away. But it gets it down to such a low level that whatever medication that people are using at the current time is much more effective. And that's exactly true for opioids. What I've seen in case after case is that by using cannabidiol, it improves the ability of opioids or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to be more effective at a same or lower dosage. Typically, people who are on opioids have been able to reduce the amount that they're taking by three-quarters of the amount or even eliminate it entirely. I have one case that I was helping with PTSD. And this was a soldier who had come back, and he was injured, but he also had the post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. I, as a part of a study that I did last year for PTSD, I was having him three weeks of use of uh, the liposomal variety of CBD, and he was getting really good effects from it, did not require much. He had to go in to the hospital to have an operation he was going to have a valve repla- replacement. He, they split his chest, replaced his valve, 
He came out of the hospital, had a re good recovery, but he left the hospital without any requirement for pain medications using CBD alone. Nothing else was required. He was able to get away and not use any opioids. From that point on, no opioids were required for him. That's amazing because so many people actually begin their opioid uh, addiction process uh, post-operational uh, uh, yes. when they, you know, are sent home with quantities of, of Vicodin or whatever. That's that's very common. I hear that story, and people get caught up into that addictive uh, response. What's amazing about cannabidiol is that it actually blocks the tolerance effect uh, on the opioid receptors. Now, not nobody seems to be aware of this, but actually CBD makes a connection, and the endocannabinoid system is closely connected with the opioid receptors. They are what they call a dimeric uh, regulation. They're actually uh, combining the two, and those connections modulate exactly the analgesic effect that goes on with it. So, and CBD fits right into that category. And as a result, people uh, don't have a tolerance. They don't need to take more of the medication. There's not the requirement for taking more and more of the opioids. They can actually take less and less because you've eliminated that, uh, that problem with uh, tolerating, needing more in order to make uh, binding to the opioid receptor. So much more effective with that. But there's another point to that that is really exciting, and that is, uh, of course, there's, there, it blocks the um, ad addictive component. So withdrawal symptoms are greatly minimized by using CBD, and people can reduce their dose of opioids as well as other substances like benzodiazepines, nicotine, um, and alcohol by using cannabidiol because that addictive component is greatly reduced and they don't have the difficulties and the withdrawal symptoms that are associated with it, nor do they have the cravings for those addictive substances. So a wonderful combination. And at the same time, CBD is not potentiating the opioid. So there's no respiratory depression, even though there's better effect from the opioids, there's no increase in the, the, the pathway that people really destroy themselves when they're using opioids by taking too much, getting into respiratory depression and dying of asphyxia. Mm -hmm. oh, this is a incredibly important information. Now, when people think of, of marijuana, uh, they think of smoking. What are the ways that you can actually take these products um, that don't, say, cause you to cough and, and uh, feel uncomfortable? Well, there's many different forms that you can take in with cannabidiol. It's available in as a topical agent um, and an oral agent. And as an oral agent, it's available in several different um, type formats. Uh, one is a, a tincture that is an oil. One is a water-soluble mixture that um, it comes as a, Elixinol has one that's in, in a liposomal format. Um, and it comes as a concentrate so that that can be taken directly into the mouth. Um, in addition, uh, it's available um, as uh, a something that can be used in a vaporizer. So it can be vaporized in an e-cigarette type of fashion and get the benefits right um, directly that go into the lung 
uh, are absorbed into the lung, immediately go into the bloodstream and actually go to the brain very, very quickly, but not for a high, just for health, Mm -hmm. health improvement and improvement in cognitive function immediately with an improvement in focus, focus on mentally focused, but also focus in the eyes. It's interesting phenomena. There is an improved resolution, visual resolution and vision quality as a result of using cannabidiol um, vaporized within a few moments. In fact, you get these benefits in all cases, however you ingest um, cannabidiol, but it's very, very prominent when it's vaporized because the effects are so immediate. I'm talking about 10 seconds Mm -hmm. uh, for the vaporization. Wow. Now, I've heard of regimens where you combine the vaporizing so that you get an immediate effect, and then you also ingest it for a longer-term effect, so particularly for PTSD to to deal with a, a panic attack, for example, immediately, and then to kind of smooth out the rest of the uh, episode. I think that's a great strategy, using the combined approach where people are having acute events uh, and anxiety sort of things, then yes, uh, a vaporization for immediate 10-second delivery uh, to the body. But if you use it sublingually, you'll also get some pretty quick effects within a minute or two by just putting it into the mouth and holding it in the mouth. A lot of times it's called sublingual. But actually, the studies with Sativex, which is that product with THC and CBD in it, found that the best absorbing area for the, this substance was actually at the back of the tongue. So just where mom told us to gargle with salt water, that's exactly where the best absorption, at least for the Sativex and those uh, phytocannabinoids, was in that particular study. And I do believe that that's the case. So when I tell people, when they're taking a, a concentrate, a tincture, or, or a, an oral uh, CBD in any form, to hold it in the mouth and swish it throughout the mouth, even getting it to the back of the, the, the tongue, uh, but everywhere, not just keeping it under the tongue, and mm-hmm. try to hold on to that for two or three minutes before swallowing it. Now, you mentioned in your description of the effects um, a, a cognitive sharpening. So would it be useful for dementia and Alzheimer's? Oh, my goodness, yes. I have seen at least a dozen cases um, that have improved dramatically with the use of CBD uh, for dementia. In fact, I, I had one case that I was working with, and this was a, um, an older woman. She was 62 years old. She had Down syndrome. Uh, but she was becoming uh, very difficult to manage by her sister. We started using the cannabidiol for her, and I had put it into a cream uh, that was uh, just a common, pleasant uh, cream that could be used because uh, the sister was not eating at that point. She'd had uh, Alzheimer's dementia for uh, about a year and a half and was um, really unable to eat food at that point. And she was taking in some uh, some um, supplements, uh, some oral uh, oral feedings, um, uh, and a a food supplement in a liquid, and that was all that she was taking in. So I wanted to do something that she could could be easily used. Um, so I put it into a cream that could be rubbed onto her back, 
And this twice a day, we're using about uh, five to 10 milligrams of CBD was rubbed into her skin. Over the course of a month, she made a dramatic improvement where she became uh, cooperative, uh, pleasant, improved her sleeping quality. Uh, from actually before that time, just a month before, she was a very angry and disruptive individual who was actually violent at times and had almost damaged, uh, injured her sister. And so that she was at that point where she was going to have to be put in some sort of residential facility. But with the use of the CBD cream, within a month, total transformation. And not only that, she started to remember the things that she had learned uh, two years before in terms of the little behaviors and uh, uh, that uh, games that she was playing uh, mm -hmm. with her sister. And so I saw these dramatic changes, but she's not the only one. I've seen people with uh, multiple strokes, uh, sort of a lacunar uh, dementia that occurs. These people also recover. And there's been, a, a, like I say, a dozen other people who have responded superbly to oral or to topical doses of cannabidiol. Relatively small amounts have been very, very effective. In fact, I've got one story for you of a 82-year-old Korean War veteran who was pretty much of a vegetable wa watching TV consistently all the time and, and very non-communicative. Um, started. We introduced, at the insistence of his daughter, we introduced some CBD to him. He woke up, and he literally told me after a month of using CBD, he says, I used to be a vegetable. I was just a sprig of broccoli sitting in front of that chair. But now you've woken me up. I'm now alive, and I want to do so many things, and I want to tell my story, my story about PTSD as a result of this Korean War experience. And he wanted me to help him write his autobiography about these experiences that he had in the Korean War. None of his other family had even heard of this before, and they had no idea that he had PTSD for all of these years. Wow, that's amazing. It, it, it's heartbreaking, too, because how many of our elders are sitting in a vegetative state in front of, you know, being parked in front of a television or being parked in, in uh, homes and, and residences in front of a television and just, just withdrawing from life? You're absolutely right. I, there's millions of people like that who are, have some deficit, and CBD could wake them up again. And, but I'm not sure that every family is ready to have their <laughs> loved one wake up from their slumber, their Alzheimer's slumber. Um, yes, yes, there's that too. Well, where do people actually find or acquire this CBD, and how do you know um, what to look for? Well, if you're looking for a, a good quality CBD, well, actually an excellent quality CBD, you'd have to do your homework because there's a lot of vendors that are out there. You've got to look at the company to start with. What, what kind of company is it? Is it a, a local company in your particular area or is it a global company that one that is providing cannabidiol uh, for many different countries as well as across the United States? You've got to look at the product and you need to see what is actually contained in it. Now, so often that we go to, we could go to a store and you can see the product there and they have claims of, of how many milligrams it are. And even that's difficult to interpret. 
because you get confused between whether it's hemp oil or whether it's cannabidiol that's in the hemp oil. And they sometimes they don't seem to want to separate that out. So you've got to know what's in it. You also want to know what's not in it, whether it's got heavy metals, whether it's got pesticides, whether it's got uh, other chemicals that are included in it. And you can only do that with a third-party laboratory analysis. That's not immediately available. You can't necessarily trust the company for giving you all of the information that is there. You also want to make sure that the source is coming from a uh, quality um, hemp, uh, industrial hemp um, source, where it is a true quality product that it has the entourage, that has the blend, and it's not you're not dealing with an isolate. Now, definitely the isolates are cheaper, but in this case, you don't want the isolate because it doesn't have all of the benefits that you're looking for. <clears throat> and that probably has to do with um, also reducing the number of possible side effects that you might get with CBD. Mm -hmm. so you're looking at the company, you're looking at the product, and you're looking to see if they've got adequate support for you. Now, most of the people who are interested in CBD are, CBD are not really familiar with this industry at all, and they don't know what to look for or what kind of things that they can expect or whether it's going to interact with some of the other substances that they might be using as part of their conventional therapy. You've got to see if they offer clinical support uh, for uh, using their particular product. Do they have somebody on the medical side that can Guide, give them some guidance and provide some expertise. Somebody within the company that can provide support for this sort of transition and finding out about if they used it, what can they expect, and give them some real guidance for their situation. Now, I assume that um, CBD is not covered by most insurance policies. Um, what kind of expenditure is somebody looking at if they want to get a, um, a therapeutic dose of it for a month or two? Well, first thing is you got to determine what the dose is. And that's not an easy thing to do because it, every, everybody has a different need in terms of their endocannabinoid imbalance that's there or the level of of pain that they're having, it, and they have a different need for phytocannabinoids. And so you don't know exactly what it's going to take. I have established some general guidelines for different conditions, but it's so variable where I have the biggest people in the world responding to just a smidgen, a few milligrams of CBD and feeling dramatic effects. And on the other hand, just puny little people that... <laughs> Uh, don't you wouldn't expect to have any tolerance taking huge doses of 150 or 180 milligrams of CBD. So it's widely varied. And what the only thing that you can do is get a product and start using it and making adjustments to find out what that is. In terms of the cost, from my experience over the last three years, <clears throat> the cost has come down by over 50% in that period of time. And the prices keep dropping because there's improved availability, there's improved products uh, that are out there, there's improved production. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. And I think that's going to drive down the costs even more. 
-hmm. for an, an average uh, product, let's say using the Elixinol 300 milligram tincture, and that's a great starting point. It has five milligrams per milliliter. And so you can use, excuse me, 10 milligrams per milliliter. And you could use 10 milligrams to 15 milligrams twice a day uh, would give you that um, 30, 30 days of dosage for about mm, uh, $60. And that mm -hmm. would be possible. So about $60 a month, it gives you that basic level. And mm -hmm. then um, you can figure out what's going to be the best product form for you. For instance, capsules, they generally are running in the area of about $80 a month. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Elixinol a couple of times, and I actually met you at the Cannabis Science Conference at their booth. What's your relationship with the company? Well, I've been doing uh, medical advising for them, and they've asked me to contact patients to, to help them with uh, deciding about uh, CBD. Um, and I've also looked into quite a bit of the science and provided a lot of resource material for some of their education programs. And I've been producing some of some lectures that have been sponsored by Elixinol to tell people more about things like addiction for PTSD, for anxiety, pain, a number of these different problems uh, to address those and how cannabidiol could be uh, life transforming for so many people. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Elixinol's products or, uh, or CBDs are taken from the hemp plant. Are there different effects of having CBD mixed with different proportions of THC? Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure there would be, but I don't have any significant knowledge of THC or the combination. In about 95% of cases, I've been able to manage the problem or the clinical problems using CBD alone. In a few cases, they want to, they would like to revert or they'd like to use some THC. In those cases, I say, I say recommend that's fine, that's okay. Uh, you, need to, you need to look in your sources, make sure it's legal within your state, and to combine that in an incremental fashion to titrate to find out what the right dose is for you. Mm -hmm. I will generally give some guidelines for what the CBD dose should be, and then they can do some mixing and matching into for, in order to find what the best combination would be for them to give them the relief of symptoms and the improvement in their health that they're seeking. I did want to touch on one last subject, which has been in the news recently, which is about the brain injuries suffered from uh, concussions, you know, or these small um, impacts to football players and and even um, uh, soldiers. I mean, there that there was that uh, thing in the news about the the chap who uh, went berserk, and then they found that his brain had been pretty much turned to mush over the course of his athletic career. Um, what is the effect, or how, how do you envision the effect of CBD as being protective in these cases? Oh, I'm really glad you brought that up. That is such a big area where CBD could protect people from the seriousness of those injuries, um, as well as uh, restore health to so many millions of people. 
you know, what we're seeing with these uh, traumatic brain injuries, whether it's concussion or it's CTE, uh, the chronic uh, traumatic encephalitis, or it's a traumatic brain injury of any kind, there is uh, a process going on that CBD has protective features that would prevent many of the problems that come from it, as well as enhance the recovery um, and protect against a lot of the consequences, even if it's given as late as five hours after the initial trauma. Now, that's been shown particularly in stroke cases where CBD was administered in preclinical studies up to five hours afterwards, and it provided a improved outcome for all of these incidents. Now, I look at um, the concussions as being the lowest level of traumatic brain injury. And to this point, we talk about concussions as whether, in fact, I believe that if you if we look at it differently, the injuries that are occurring in concussion may be, in fact, microstrokes, microstrokes that are occurring in the brain stem area, which would make sense about the uh, dysfunction, the neurologic dysfunction that occurs in concussion, whether it lasts for days, weeks, or even months. And at the lowest level, CBD could prevent those kinds of consequences for concussions um, and protect the brain from those long-term problems that for like CTE. Now, when it comes to traumatic brain injury, once again, we've got a highly protective feature that cannabidiol offers. One of the big problems with any type of these stroke or these ischemic events to the brain is the, the reflow. The, the body after the traumatic events kind of clamps down and restricts uh, blood flow um, primarily uh, immediately after the injury. But then it loosens up and it allows reflow and allows inflammation to occur afterward. And in that reflow is sometimes where the worst of the complications actually occur. We know that in brain injury, traumatic brain injury, patients are typically put um, to the brain at rest. They're put into a coma. They're actually cooled down to very cool temperatures to reduce that injury from the reflow that happens. And that lasts for several days until everything equalizes. Cannabidiol will prevent the complications from that edema as a result of traumatic brain injury. And the same thing sort of happens with the uh, types of CTE and the concussions where it, it controls and it regulates the flow of blood into the area by controlling the blood-brain barrier. Not only the blood-brain barrier, but the eye-brain or the eye-blood barrier. The eye actually has a separate system for that. And CBD protects in that area of injury as well. So you've got these global effects of cannabidiol to regulate the vascular system and the inflammatory system as well as the neurotransmitters. So that with the decimation that occurs with traumatic brain injury and with stroke and with even concussion, you've got a real potential for CBD for being protective, not only using it before the event, but immediately after the event to prevent the sequelae that are so common. Wow, that is so important. Do you think that that information is kind of working its way into athletic clubs and, and the uh, medical establishment? 
Well, I think it is. There are some studies that are ongoing. I'm, the one with regard to CTE is now going there, that we have uh, significant evidence for using the phytocannabinoids that provides a major benefit for it. Mm-hmm. I don't think people have looked and the researchers have looked as deeply into uh, the use for cannabidiol for protecting against all levels from concussion to traumatic brain injury. Now, I'm working with a company called uh, a uh, Harvest 360 that is uh, working on a project to develop a first responder approach of using CBD in battle injuries of traumatic um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. brain injury. And we're, we're really excited that this might be something that we could incorporate in our troops uh, to prevent so many of the problems that we're facing as troops come back from these types of injuries. Well, all I can say is I hope that uh, your work achieves the level of recognition and success that it sounds like it truly deserves. Is there some way that, do you have a, a website that people can find out more? Well, I work with a company called Pro Health Advisors, and um, the company is uh, out, uh, well, it's got a web presence. It's got that uh, .com mm-hmm. is the actual um, address um, for it, and my presence is there. Uh, and if people want to contact me, they can contact me through that address. I also work with Elixinol, and if uh, someone wants a clinical consultation, uh, about uh, the cannabidiol, would it be appropriate for them? They can actually go to the, the uh, lixinol.com and slash consult, and they'll be able to uh, make an inquiry as to a clinical problem that they are want to consider cannabidiol for. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a wonderful show, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Blair. You're welcome. Glad to be here today. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, visit our website at CannabisInFocus.com for informative articles, videos, and links. Until next time, I'm Miriam Knight. Goodbye and good health.